This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome to this special episode of the Presidencies of the United States. I'm your host, Jerry Landry. When talking about presidential history and politics, especially around election season, one of those terms that gets bandied about is fit for office. But how much do you know about how physical fitness plays into presidencies and presidential elections? Special guest John Finkel joined me on this episode to talk about his book, Jocks in Chief, and to examine the athletic abilities, and sometimes lack thereof, of the 44 individuals who have thus far served as President of the United States. John is the award-winning author of The Life of Dad, The Athlete, Heart Over Height, Mean Joe Green, The Dad Vantage, Forces of Character, and other works about icons, fatherhood, and fitness. He is the co-host of the Life of Dad show podcast and Lunch Break, an avid speaker, writer, and creative strategist for some of the biggest brands in sports and health. For more information on John and where you can find more of his work, check out the website at presidencies.blueberry, that's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y dot com. And I'll also post some information on social media. I can't thank John enough for his time and insight, as well as a fantastic conversation. One quick note before we begin. As sometimes happens with remote interviews, I had a technical snafu, and the recording that I had going on my end stopped recording around the 20-minute mark. Thankfully, I had audio from the call, but the audio quality is not as good as was the audio on my end up to that point. My apologies for that, but I hope that won't deter much from your experience of listening to my discussion with John. Thanks to all of you, and without further ado, let's get started. Thanks so much, John, for joining us on Presidencies. Uh, Just to kind of start out, I wanted to ask you, what first got you interested in studying the athletic abilities of U.S. presidents? (laughs) Uh, So I think I've been fascinated by the presidents in general for a long time. Like when I grew up, uh, the, the first books that I got at the library were all the, like the, any, any athlete biography I could read, I would grab, uh, any sport, any athlete, I'd go through like those kid versions of those books. And then the second round of anything with any president biography, you know, the kid version when I was in second, third or fourth or fifth grade, I was just, I guess, fascinated by kind of like, I guess, technically like small elite groups, you know, athletes, presidents and things like that. So that's kind of the basis. I don't know why at that age, that was something that really, um, intrigued me, but as I moved on you know, and got older in my writing career, um, I kind of kept some of the same interests. And so I wrote for a lot of uh, large men's uh, interest magazines like GQ and men's fitness and men's health and, and muscle and fitness. And as I got up my way, worked my way up the like editorial ladder, I kind of had a little more latitude to pitch more fun kind of broad ideas that I had. And in 2008, heading into the election, I was um, a senior editor for muscle and fitness. And we wanted to put together what would be a some kind of version of, of an election issue, but not politics at all uh, for, uh, for the, um, for like that November issue that was going to come out. 
So I came up with this whole theme and you know, who knows where these ideas kind of are embedded in your, in your psyche. But we did an issue where like the cover was called like red, white, and huge. And instead of the electoral college, it was the pectoral college and it was, you know, bench pressing and all kinds of stuff that we did. And one of the things that was kind of the signature cornerstone of the issue uh, was my main piece, which was the top 10 strongest presidents, most athletic presidents. So that was the very first iteration of this idea was just who would be the strongest 10. And remember in 08, this was really pre-social media. Um, this was a little, you know, the internet had been around for a while, but the idea of putting these top 10 lists together and things like that weren't really, hadn't taken off yet. So this was still, print was still a big deal. It wasn't even online. Uh, and so that's the first version of the, uh, of this idea. That actually leads great into my second question, because I was going to ask kind of how you came up with your rating system and what thought process was behind it. It sounds like that it kind of developed over time. Yeah. So one of the things, as you know, obviously on this podcast, talking presidents, talking politics, when when you get involved in it, you inevitably get into policy and political parties and ideology. And I wanted to do everything I possibly could to avoid that because you know, one of the, the kind of the core ethos of the first article in the book was like, you know, we all know what it's like, you know, to shoot a 10 foot, like a foul shot, right? It's the same distance for everybody. You know, we don't know what it's like to be president. We don't know what it's like to sit in the Oval Office or run for office or any of that for most of us. But throwing out a first pitch, anybody can go on a you know, regulation major league baseball mound, throw out a pitch. Anybody can shoot a foul shot. Anybody can go bowling. They want to throw a football. So it's a way to kind of, you know, at some point, all presidents were just regular people. You know, they were kids, they were teenagers, they were playing, you know, sports or, you know, in pre kind of modern sports times, they were doing athletic activities and being active. Um, and so in order to kind of not have it where someone would say like, well, you just put so-and-so because of, you know, and I'm very, you know, apolitical in terms of a lot of this stuff. So I wanted to be as objective as possible. I didn't want anybody to be able to point to one and say, well, the top 10, whatever it would have shaken out to be, has eight Democrats or eight Republicans. And so I came up with a completely objective scoring system that was like part Mel Kuyper Jr. doing the NFL draft and part uh, Moneyball where you're taking stuff, uh, you know, from different aspects of what would be a successful athletic human being, let alone president. And so the ones that I came up with were um, executive power, which just ranks the president's overall physical strengths. Uh, again, that's, you know, weight room strength, but also, you know, counting for some of the earlier presidents, just general brute strength, uh, running ability, which is their physical fitness and cardio throughout their life. So like before and after office, then which one of the ones that I kind of weighted heavier, which is fit for office, which is how fit did a president stay once they were in the office, well, in the Oval Office, like what kind of activities they do to stay in shape while they were president. Um, executive experience, experience, this one is like, what are their actual athletic accomplishments or feats? So were they on a championship team? Were they a starter in varsity? Did they have any, you know, wrestling titles? And did they, did they were they a lifeguard? Or what did they do? And, and what are things that their family members or biographies pointed out as extreme, you know, ex excellent athletic feats? And then the last one is uh, Medal of Honor, which is ranks the president's athletic toughness um, and endurance. And a lot of the presidents, especially the pre-modern presidents, the you know, the first 10 or 15 or 20 or so had some areas and uh, you know, categories and things that they ranked high in that category that, you know, equate to what maybe would be a modern marathon and things like that today. As a data person in my day job, I have to ask a, a follow-up question uh, because I was doing some research and found that 
I have the updated version, which came out in 2019, but I was seeing some references back to the uh, earlier version in 2016, and it looks like some of the rankings changed. And so I was wanting to ask, was this due to an adjustment to the ranking system or additional information or reevaluation of some of the presidents? I would say a mix of the last two things you said, but also I changed something very critical. So the first time I did it, um, uh, the first time I did it, I had the presidents rank each category on one through five. So the max, um, the max score they could get was 25. And what I realized was the first version of it was, that, that I did was a very cursory version. It, was, um, it wasn't really the final prize that I, that I ultimately wanted, which is the one that I have now, which is kind of a fun, deep dive essay on each president. It was more of like a 200-word or 100-word you know, in, intro on maybe what their, thing, what their athletic achievements were. So once I really dove in and took the time to you know, research each president, you know, and I had done that before, but I didn't go as deep as I would have liked. I realized that one through five with only, you know, as you know, on a data set of 45, um, 44 presidents, you're going to end up having too many people, even with variables of half a point in blocks, right, of, you know, five people end up at the end of the day, you know, scoring uh, 30, you know, 35 or 24 or 22, whatever it is. So once I stretched it out to 10, um, that enabled me to actually really wait because what I was finding too was some of the, the presidents who were in that middle, maybe maybe not the top 10, but like 10 to like 25, I, I needed categories to weight a little more importantly. Like, so like I said, I, I wanted a way of the idea of how fit they stayed while they were in office a little heavier. So I might've given, you know, seven or eight there and a separation point maybe for a two or three from some other presidents. So to answer your question directly, the the, the deeper dive on each president allowed me to have more data on each president, which made me realize that a one to five scale is, is not really fair to some of the, you know, to give somebody like Gerald Ford who won a national championship in football, uh, you know, a five, but then someone who just a couple points below a three who maybe played on their high school baseball team, you have to be able to have a little bit more separation for those things. So that's what I did. That's something in studying presidential history. It, it really is a constant evaluation and reevaluation. And there's always new evidence that comes up. I know with me, with the podcast, I'll get done with something and then I'll learn of, of a new source. And it's, it's like, okay, how do I, can I really work this in or do I just need to let it go and maybe come around again next time? So I definitely understand that. Yep. Yeah, it's very much that. It's very fluid. And, and some of the older presidents, you know, their, their lives, you know, they've been dead for a long time. But, you know, you, you'll find some rabbit hole of a biography that I, that I never knew existed, you know, and then something will come up. Or a lot of instances where there was a um, presidential library, which, you know, most of them do have. You know, I reached out to a lot of them. Some I got back, or some, you know, got back to me, some didn't. I, I wanted to avoid, you know, getting into this position where, you know, I was going to be this you know, 400 page scholarly tome on this kind of thing. So I wanted to have fun with it. So at a certain point, I realized, okay, I'm not going to hear from, you know, presidential library X. I'm just going to go with the information that I have. Ultimately, you you get to that point. There's only so much that we can know. And I'll get back to uh, the subject of kind of your your research and some of the difficulties that you face with that in a minute. But I was wanting to ask, were there any surprises, like a president that you thought would do well, but ended up not being quite up to par, or possibly somebody that turned out to be more athletic than you originally thought would have been? 
Yeah, there was a couple that came in that front. Um, probably the number one surprise on the positive side was James Garfield. I, uh, you know, he, you know, because the, the, when he became president and the kind of the history of, of his, 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 his presidency allowed people to, looking back, um, you know, there's been a couple of uh, books on him, but we don't know a whole lot about him. There's no big movies about him, right? There, there hasn't been, you know, he's not usually ranked as super at the top of the presidency. He's kind of lost somehow. However, when I started doing some real research and I actually found a great um, biography of him, it was called uh, The Life of James Abram Garfield. And it turns out that his dad was like a feared and revered like wrestler and brawler and mauler. And his son basically got that exact same gene. He was not a guy to be trifled with. And so I didn't realize some of his feats of strength he fought like a dozen guys on a steamship and knocked him off the boat. Like he had to basically fight his way on. Um, he was an undefeated wrestler for a while. So he was one of those guys who just because he surely, you know, just didn't know a whole lot about, um, he turned out to be one of the strongest guys. And he was even, you know, because he was only in office for six months, he really didn't get the full weight of what he could have had, had he stayed you know, healthy and not been, you know, not been shot and those kind of things. But he was probably the guy that surprised me the most and had some of the coolest stories and quotes about. And that's one of the things um, that's interesting about studying presidents with those presidents that aren't president for that long. It's hard to rank them alongside people who served out the entire four years or eight years or longer. But whenever you start to get into their lives, like I'm a big fan of William Henry Harrison and, of course, the shortest presidency, but a very lengthy life. Uh, which, by the way, I was I was very glad to see that Harrison was in the middle of the road. He usually isn't quite that high, so I, I was pleased with that. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Harrison, you know, some of these guys, like you said, when they when they weren't president very long, but they lived um, a longer life, and maybe and I, and I obviously I waited, um, you know, military service and things like that as you know some of the endurance and things like and and a way to. Because part of it is when you're weighing, you know, a modern president, Obama or Clinton or, you know, George W. Bush or H.W. Bush or any of the last maybe 20, or, I mean, any of the last presidents who were the last 25, 30, 40 years, you know, against the William Henry Harrison or Benjamin Harris or any of these guys, you have to be able to have a conversation on equal footing. And so you have to kind of substitute maybe military experience for like, you know, high school athleticism and things like that. Definitely. And that gets to another question that I had because you mentioned in the book the difficulty of finding sources which spoke to the athleticism of some of the presidents. Who did you find to be the most difficult president to research? Yeah, there were a couple of those. Uh, you know, it's funny. A couple of them were like a treasure trove of information that I like did not expect. So on the, on one side, like a guy like James Polk, you know, you just there's just not a lot there. You know, that whole no-name president era where. Some of them you do find they had a you know high uh, military background or they had some really interesting things go on like Billard Fillmore and things like that. But some of the guys where you look at what they did and they look at their life, um, athletically speaking, there just isn't a whole lot there. Even someone like James Madison, who's been written about a zillion times and is a founding father and a brilliant mind and all that, he was a very small guy. He was a sickly kid. Um, other than the general, you know, riding a horseback to get from here to there. There's just nothing there. And, you know, he's one of those guys who perhaps I may have missed a, an anecdote over the time because there's just, you know, such a, a volume of work on a guy like that. But somehow, sometimes when I was doing the research, I realized, well, I've read now 
you know, three different giant, you know, versions of, of Madison's life, old books, new books. I'm Googling, I'm looking through the whitehouse.gov website and all these kind of things. And there's just, there's nothing to point to. Right. So in some sense, there's guys like that. And then, like I said, there's, there's presidents on the shorter run of things who just, you know, weren't president very long. There hasn't been a ton of scholarly uh, work devoted to their life and their times. And so you just don't have a whole lot to go off of, but, but some of the resources have, you know, you turn up, you know, you turn up crazy things and it's kind of fun. And that's the thing. That's the fun of it. Seeing what you can turn up and having those kind of hidden gems, but then also starting to put it together and starting to see some trends and along those lines, because whenever you're talking about the, the totality of U.S. presidential history, that now covers over 200 years of history. So I was going to ask you, in terms of your research, how did you find that attitudes about physical fitness have changed over time? And how was that reflected in the presidents? Yeah, it's really interesting. So physical fitness, like, like a guy like even, you know, George Washington, um, Thomas Jefferson, John Quincy Adams, these were guys who very much, if you could just kind of transfer them to right now, you could see them being into what the latest sort of fitness craze or fitness uh, workout is. You know, Jefferson didn't like any sports. Famously, he has a couple quotes that I found where he basically thinks anything with a ball is a complete and total waste of time. Men shouldn't be playing these things. However, he was a lifelong devotee of like long, strenuous walks, six, seven, eight mile walks everywhere he went. He believed that it helped clear your mind. He believed being outside uh, was a good thing. You know, forest bathing, they call it, as they walk through. And if you look at right now some of like the, where we are in our modern times with people being stuck in cubicles and stuck inside and stuck on social media and on computers, all these new you know, health gurus are talking about get outside, go for long walks, clear your head, get away from all this stuff, which is the same exact concept he had. And then somebody like John Quincy Adams, who – believed deeply in the power of swimming. I, I'm a swimmer. I swam through high school and college, so this kind of appeals to me a little bit. But still, he swam all year round. He skinny did in the Potomac. He was swimming well into his 50s. You know, he had his friends even tell him he needed to relax and calm down in swimming. And he has all these great quotes about why swimming is so important. You know, he literally does the same schedule I have. I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and swim several mornings a week. And John Quincy Adam got up at 4 or 5, walked two miles, swam a couple miles in the river, came home, had breakfast. That's literally my schedule. <laughs> so, you know, the idea that some of these guys are outdated, not so much. I mean, I, I think what happened was in the early, and you could probably speak to this as well, that the earlier presidents, maybe the first eight or 10, maybe up to Andrew Jackson or so, had uh, they, the, the United States was still, even the cities were still pretty untamed and wild. And there weren't really, even New York City and Philly, you know, Back then, D.C. was disgusting in the summer. Nobody wanted to be there. The heat in Philly was stifling. Um, and so as these places got more modern, I think some of the presidents got a little more, like, I'd say dignified and felt that some of that stuff was beneath them. And then it kind of flipped back probably all the way. You know, obviously, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, was, a, you know, a beast when it came to this stuff. and was overly. But I think those probably from the 1850s through, um, you know, maybe after Lincoln, a lot of those guys did not put up, you know, put a price on that. A lot of those presidents were lawyers by trade or politicians by trade or businessmen by trade. Uh, and then it was kind of, it kind of turned a little bit at the, at the coming of the you know, 19th or I guess it'd be the 20th century, the 1900s, where you have someone like Roosevelt who's into all, you know, basically all the modern sports. Uh, and after that, you know, football, swimming, you know, these are the sports that start taking over baseball. Uh, the modern sports are taking over. So I think the attitude is, you know, being physically robust and healthy 
at the early part of the, you know, the, the beginning of our nation was extremely important. And then maybe there was a little bit of decadence and hoity-toitiness going on, and then it kind of got back to it. Does that, does that track what you would think? Absolutely. I can, because, and, and that's one of the things that I think that we in, in the modern day, the 21st century, we have trouble picturing what the day-to-day life was, even for people who were well-to-do in many respects, they were still much more physically fit than they were they were taking these walks. They were riding horses for miles and miles on a regular basis. They were John Adams was having to chop firewood, working on a farm. And it it's hard for us to to understand. It wasn't in some cases it wasn't them thinking, oh, well, I'm going to be physically fit. It was, this is what I've got to do. And physical fitness was just a a byproduct of that. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of them didn't, you know, it's not like now where I, you know, you join a gym and I'm going to do cardio for an hour. I'm going to go lift weights for an hour. This was their part of their life. If you wanted to get from place A to place B, you walked Um, and you could have a car, you know, you could have a, a, a horse and carriage and do all that kind of stuff. But you know, like you said, Adams, you know, he had a farm to work and, and John Quincy Adams, you know, they had, they had ways to stay on top of their game, just like we do now. And whether it was walking or, you know, wrestling or, you know, Lincoln famously throughout his campaign played handball as much as he could, even on, you know, the decision of one of the you know, delegate nights, you know, this was just, a, they didn't have, you know, Twitter, right. They weren't going on uh, YouTube to see what videos would play. They were bored. They were in, they were in stuffy clothes all day. Uh, one of the things that I kind of noticed from a lot of them was just like now, most of them hated with a passion going to meetings. They hated dealing with the different chambers of Cong- you know, Congress that they created. They couldn't stand it just like we couldn't. So, you know, they're sitting in, in a custody. They had, they had a whole different, you know, the clothes they wore were exceedingly uncomfortable. And so the idea of going for a walk through the woods, going for a hike, going for a swim, playing handball, um, you know, Washington has the famous story, not from, it's in my book, but the same of him, you know, that, pitching that iron rod where his soldiers would, you know, one of the games they play would just take this giant iron rod and see you could throw it the farthest. And apparently this was a huge skill back then. Then Washington was by far like well-known as the strongest man in the colonies. He was an undefeated wrestler and he came out and trash talked him and threw it farther than anybody else ever had. And this is what they did. It's just the same exact thing. You know, these guys weren't all, we look at them. Uh, I think sometimes as the monuments of being, you know, at their old age. So you see, you think of Adams and Jefferson and Lincoln, and you think of them in their, you know, in Lincoln's age when he died was younger, but you know, seventies or eighties for some of these guys, but they were young at one point, (laughs) you know, they were in their thirties and forties and they were active. And that's the time when I think the, from to your point, when the mentality of staying in shape, it wasn't staying in shape. It was, this is my day-to-day life. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and, and I think you also get to a good point in that just like in the modern era, you know, we see so many modern day presidents, 20th and 21st century presidents that 
play golf regularly. And Mm -hmm. that's seen as a way to kind of get away and be able to get away from the pressures of the presidency. And you have to imagine that for some of the presidents in the earlier eras, something like John Quincy Adams going swimming every day, maybe that was his way of coping with the stress of the office, of, of coping with the, the pressures that he was under. It was his time, kind of setting that, that time to be able to, and, and being fit, it, it makes you feel better. Doing something, some physical activity, it, it makes you feel like you're doing something for yourself. So I, yeah. I would imagine that some of them, that that was what was in their mind. They wouldn't necessarily have understood that, but it was just something that was kind of ingrained into them. Yeah, the, the stress relief thing, you know, you, you mentioned a, a few uh, questions ago about, you know, the, the, the patterns and things that patterns emerge. And one of them was, uh, this is obviously not breaking news, but uh, being a president is an extremely stressful job. And they all needed releases. And it seems like the ones who didn't have any release were the ones who flamed out and seemed to you know, be ranked at the bottom. They weren't physically well. There's, you know, when you look at the top, uh, if you're just generalizing in the top, you know, half of them, there's very few, very thin, small, sickly people up there. And also in terms of the highest, you know, the ranking presidents, you know, other than maybe John Adams, who, you know, founding father and all those kind of things, almost none of the presidents in the back half or the back third were that, you know, whether that are typically ranked as, in terms of, you know, on the political when the historians look at it. Very few of the ones that are typically in the bottom third, would you say, oh, yeah, but they were actually really physically fit and took care of themselves, right? There was, there's usually a little bit. I'm sure there, there, there are exceptions to that. I'm sure some people would say, what are you talking about? You know, because Thomas Jefferson is a good example of, he walked, that was all he did. So he stayed in shape and he was fit, but he wasn't a good athlete, right? And so that was where, when I started doing the rankings and kind of getting down to the, the nitty gritty of, like I said, breaking it out to 10, you know, you get someone like Bill Clinton who, yes, he exercised and clearly got the memo that he should be seen jogging, but he was a terrible athlete, admittedly. He was not a good golfer, admittedly. But his efforts to stay active got him, you know, certain points above, you know, some of the other presidents, especially in that middle area, who didn't really do anything. And that actually leads into another question that I had for you. And you've kind of spoken to that a little bit. Did you find any ways that a president's commitment to physical fitness was reflected in his policies or in his handling of the presidency? Yeah, that's an interesting one. So I am an absolute amateur uh, uh, politician historian at best. So anything I say here, I'm sure somebody uh, who is listening who knows far more than me about the actual policies uh, and ideology of each president would uh, would come at me. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed, and you would even be, you can you know feel free to you know refute me on it, but from generally reading about like the mood of the nation while this person was president whether looking back historically things weren't poorly or looking back historically um, it really wasn't as great as it seemed. But while they were president at the time, it does feel like the president um, physically fit ability and whether he was more active kind of set the tone um, for how the nation felt at the time. You know, you have, you know, strong guys who stood up to, you know, you got Washington standing up to obviously, you know, the British, you have Lincoln standing up for, you know, the Civil War. 
you know, one of the, the exceptions are a couple of the modern ones because things are so divisive. But what you have to look at, so you take someone like George W. Bush, who, you know, especially where we are in our times with Barack Obama, you know, any of these new, any of the, the modern presidents, essentially half the country's annoyed with them, right? So what you can kind of do with that, so to, to kind of look at it as objectively as you can, what did the people who liked them, what was their mood, right? Because you can always cancel out 45% of the country in the last 25 years of just being ticked off by who's president, basically. So for the people who liked this president, what was their mood? And you have someone, especially in the more recent years, you know, the Obama, George W. Bush, H.W. Bush, you know, these were really active guys. They did enter, you know, you talk about these guys and what is the word that always comes for, you know, George W. Bush or someone like Obama, they energized the base and they were energetic guys, right? So you can have a hard time looking back at if you, if, if they weren't that way, would they have been able to at least rally the people who were going to vote for them to vote for them? And that's where I think if you look at some of their opponents and some of the people they went against, they didn't have that. And I, I don't know, that's my theory on it is if, if you're looking at, you know, not so much the whole country rallied around them, but someone like Ronald Reagan who had a high popularity, uh, JFK, Eisenhower, you know, these guys were all really, really athletic guys and, and they were leaders too. And I think there's probably a stronger correlation between athleticism and leadership um, that you could probably definitely draw across maybe the top half um, more so than how their policies actually played out. But I think in terms of who would be viewed, if you were just ranking all the presidents and how their leadership qualities were, I would think that there's a stronger correlation there with their athleticism than you know, how their policies played out. Well, and I think you get to an important point of the presidency, and it's something that we talk about to a certain extent with the earlier presidents, but not quite so much, although I think that it, it really did play in. In more of the modern presidency, we, we think of these words of, of vigor, of energy, that are very important for even candidates. You know, as they're running, we we concern mm-hmm. ourselves with, well, how vigorous is somebody? How energetic are they? It's it's so much about that that image, and then that plays into, well, you know, are they going to be able to get things done? And I think that there is a correlation within the modern mind that even in certain cases, case in point, William Henry Harrison mm-hmm. uh, here was the oldest person ever at that point to become president. And he broke tradition in 1840 to go out and actually campaign. It wasn't something that was done back in the day, but it was felt that it was important for him to do to demonstrate that he was vigorous enough to be president. And yeah. with yeah. his with his inaugural speech, you know, one of the reasons why he spoke so long, why he didn't have a coat on, was to prove, you know, he he was up the challenge. He was physically up to the challenge. Afterwards, after he became president, he was seen around town. He went to the farmer's market, again, to demonstrate this this physical prowess. And I've I've had that in the back of my mind for a while, and and it might be something that I'd like to explore in more depth in future research, but just this idea of physical prowess and seeming presidential in the early Republic, the antebellum period. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that you, you bring up a really great point when you start diving into these, especially when the way I was researching them, it was one after another, but 
I, I was putting them in order of their athletic ability, but I basically started with Washington and moved all the you know moved all the way forward. And what you, what people I and again we, I hate saying things like what people don't realize, but a lot of people either learned it and forgot, or it's not on the top of the mind, and they didn't just research a book about it. So it's no fault that they don't remember. It, but like, you're right. The humility was you didn't actually say no one ever said I want to be president. I mean. Washington pretended he didn't want it. Jefferson pretended he didn't want it. They all pretended they were going to retire and, oh, you have to drag me in. And, you know, if you just pull my, you know, pull my arm hard enough, I think I could do it. And I'm not up to the task. And it is the dead opposite of what it is now. You've got what, however many they started out in the Democratic field, 19, 20, whatever the number was, basically all screaming at the top of their lungs, I want to be president, which is the complete and polar opposite of the first, what, 15? They never said they wanted to be president. They had to be dragged into it by their party if there was a party. And then the other thing that's funny is people don't remember the vice president, the, pre- the second place person just became vice president. Like there weren't actual parties for a little while. And then there were parties. And then they kind of got drafted to be president. And then when you look at some of the earlier guys who became president, it was basically like next founding father up. Right. But they also weren't unanimously loved. It was guys like, you know, Calhoun and Williams and Bryant that ran over and over and didn't win. But uh, they were out there, like you said, you know, fighting for a different version of what they you know, believe in a different political party. But it's, a, it's just fascinating, the idea of they had to be strong, you know, for so much of the early history, it was like military success puts you on, you know, national military success or success on a national scale puts you on the path the presidency you know you've got so many of the presidents that end up doing that that you look at it and that was almost a qualification right like didn't most of them didn't even have to go to college you know Andrew jackson and lincoln and lincoln all these guys they fought their way through to be known i mean lincoln wasn't a military leader until obviously he was president but they didn't have the resume didn't matter that matters now it wasn't like what are you checking the boxes of an ivy league school are you checking the boxes um, of being, you know, which state or were you governor or whatever it was, it was kind of, and you probably know a little more or a lot more than I would on this, but the number of them that had, you know, were generals or had military victories in the five to 10 years before they came president, that was the biggest thing. And now when you look at it from a modern perspective, we don't have presidents, you know, who served <laughs> anymore, or at least who didn't serve to the point of, you know, the last general who became president, right? That's not we kind of, I don't know if the public is thirsty for it or not, but if you look at the candidates now, seemingly it's just not that big of a deal. And it's interesting how these things kind of go and ebbs and flows because we have certain periods of presidential history where we end up with a good many folks who were at that general status or are at least a high-ranking military official, and then we'll get into a period where, where they not so much. So, so it is fascinating how this changes. And mm-hmm. to kind of speak to that, um, I actually wanted to ask, who was your favorite president to research? Well, going into it, and, and it's probably one of the guys that excited me about the process was Theodore Roosevelt. It's just, there's such a body of work there. And I'll give another answer too, because I feel like he's the layup answer. Um, but Teddy Roosevelt, you know, when you talk about, we just the topic we were just on of the difference between the modern presidents and the and the presidents in the early part of the you know the 17th century or the you know the 16th century as 18th you know, 18th century as they were coming in, they didn't they just lived their life and they were they were kind of whatever the moment was they rose to. Teddy Roosevelt sought action 
he wanted to be known. He consciously made a choice to be known as a man of action. He was, he said asthma as a kid. He wasn't that big and strong. So he taught himself to fight. He wanted to have military service. So he created the Rough Riders. I mean, he very much used his platform to prove himself to be robust. And he's got enough quotes. He was a voluminous writer. He was a, you know, a, a preservationist and naturalist. But the fact that like the little stories that I found were when he was, you know, was mayor of New York or whatever it was, when he would bring in like heavyweight wrestlers to, to spar with him and he would bring in MMA, you know, dignitaries from, um, you know, Japan to, to teach him, you know, judo and things like that. Or he had no problem getting hurt and taking a punch. He loved being outside and kind of testing people. And that to me was one of the absolute coolest things uh, you could find. And then um, my tie for the next one is just the, the stories about Lincoln wrestling are just awesome, right? Like, if you know, if people picture him as this kind of older, the top hat, the voice, even if you saw the movie Lincoln, they don't really talk much about his physicality. But when you read about his days, the, the Illinois rail splitter and all that stuff, he was like, a, he was 6'4 and kind of shredded as, as, from what the descriptions are. He beat up pretty much every tough guy in every town he was in. He was undefeated for years as that hook and collar wrestling. He was a street fighter. He took on all comers. He talked smack. He would, he, he, the guy he worked for would basically stud him out to have fights and then they would gamble and bet on him. And this is like our most revered president. We have. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Can you imagine like right now, you know, any of the candidates, I know everything is different, but if they spent a significant portion of their life fighting for money, not even in boxing, like on the street in, in bars, it's incredible. Well, and, and I think you get to a point that, you know, because, Lincoln, that was one of his appeals at the time, the, the Illinois rail splitter. That, that, was, yeah. that was part of his image. And yet in the modern era, we don't think of him like that. And, and to your point that you mentioned earlier, we, we think of, you know, Washington and, and Jefferson and Lincoln as kind of these larger-than-life figures up on a pedestal somewhere. We don't really think of them as as physical people, but they were, you know, in, in yep. many respects, some of these presidents were, were very physical and, and people at the time would have seen them as such. TR, on the other hand, you know, we, I think that's, that's still part of his image nowadays, you know, this, this, this rough rider, this larger than life figure that is very physical. I think that, that still manages to be a part of his persona, even now as it was during his time. Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of like, uh, of, of issues where, you know, a guy kind of took a hit for something that wasn't perceived. So one of the theories that you talked about earlier, which is how does, you know, being the, the sort of the masculinity and the strength and power play into the, uh, appeal for voters of a president and then his actual presidency. But you've got guys like, you know, when Jimmy Carter, who is a pretty, you know, pretty accomplished runner, you know, collapsed at a race from, from basically heat stroke, at the time, especially with the malaise and the way the country was in, thinking it really hurt him. And the national, it was, you know, people didn't realize he ran in the Navy and he was, you know, he ran regularly three, five miles. He was a tennis player. Like he was a very good use cardio. He was a fit guy. He took care of himself. But that was kind of an unfair symbolism of him um, at the time because he collapsed during a race and he shouldn't ever, you know, presidents shouldn't do that. Not that he was doing the race, but the fact that he collapsed and it was a big deal. You had, you know, Gerald Ford, who was, by far and away, at least on the modern side of it, the best athlete we've had in the presidency, 
you know, he was kind of a klutz because he fell a little bit, but he had, he was an avid swimmer, football player, boxer. He was an absolute coordinated guy. And then you go back to some of the earlier presidents where, you know, you know, Franklin Pierce, you know, fainting Frank, like he, he fell off a horse uh, and it crushed his leg and he fainted from the pain and literally never left him like that. You know, that, that one mishap and he didn't have a whole lot of other accomplishments to, you know, basically his athleticism on, and he's not ranked very highly as a president, but that, that, that hurt him, you know, that image of him passing out, it's just not the image that people had, especially when they didn't always see their presidents in person um, that people have. And I think it really, it, it can go both ways. If you have that, you know, if you have the idea that someone like Washington, who, you know, there's that line, I can't, I think it was Joseph uh, Ellis's book, and one of them says that if you, if you took every, every leader of every country from that time period and stood them next to each other with their shirts off, the only one who you would think was the king was Washington because he was a head taller. He was broad shoulders. He was muscular. He looked like the ideal of a Greek God, Greek leader. That's what America, that's what we've always rallied behind, right? That's, that's an amazing kind of, that your presence matters. And I think it obviously still does now, probably less so because we see our politicians just every single day and now even more so on social media. But when back in the day, when maybe you saw your president in person once or twice, or you didn't need, there was no real newspapers to show, no, no photographs. Just the descriptions of somebody could carry you to the White House. Definitely. And, and, and that really does, you know, if you have a chance to see the president, one, if you've got a president that's really physically imposing, you know, like Washington, even Lincoln, you know, as tall as he was, that, that physical impression stays with you because maybe maybe that's all you really know about them but yep. they look like a leader well and, and i think yeah. that that some folks who who study presidential history may be surprised at first hearing that tr ended up not being at the top of your list yeah he he's not number one um you know what so when i got to so basically i did two things i did the research for the whole book and i was completely and totally uh, you know, objective on all of the scoring and I let everything shake out where it shook out. And then the only thing I did was kind of reserve for myself uh, before I published, like the right to reevaluate the top six or eight, because that's really where I, the first, you know, of, of all the presidents, um, of all the presidents out there, of all the 44 rankings, you know, basically up until the top 10, maybe 12, you're not actually talking about real, what we would modern day call athletes. You know, the feats mm-hmm. were weighted and they, and they worked and they had, you know, physical fitness or they were skilled at certain things, you know, like the U.S. grant, right? For, for their time period, if you ask somebody who was the best athlete, they would start telling you who was the best horse rider they knew. That was kind of how they did it. And he was the best horse rider at West Point, by and large, like the best horse rider um, in the Union Army. He was the best. He was the, you know, essentially the, the Michael Jordan of horse riding back in the day. But in our modern interpretation of athleticism, you know, he was not a big guy. He was obviously a leader, but he was not known for, you know, fiery speeches. He was very taciturn. And so it was hard, you know, he's not going to be weighted heavily up there. So once I had everything and it all shook out to my top six or eight, that's when I had to really look at, you know, if these two guys were kind of pitted against each other in some kind of contest, how would they actually shake out? And so when I looked at kind of, because Roosevelt is right on that turning point of modern times, like, there was football, 
there was swimming, there was baseball, like the sports the, the, in the early stages were there, there was boxing and Roosevelt, you know, and, and, and Ford, who's up there at the top, you know, obviously later on, you know, 40, 50 years later, um, I realized that for the modern person reading it, the fact that Ford was an all-American champion, could have played pro football, could have boxed professionally had he decided to go that route, was an avid swimmer, an elite skier. Uh, I just felt that the kind of the, because what Teddy Roosevelt did, which is genius, and, and I, I'd like to get your opinion on it, but he was all the things he wrote about. He, he, he was, you know, extremely athletic, fought. I mean, he tried to, he did everything he could to be the best athlete, right? He built up <laughs> an incredible brand, right? He, he boxed, he wrestled, he hiked, he fought, he did all these things. But realistically, he probably wasn't a great athlete. He just pushed himself to try all these activities. It's not like he went into boxing and boxed at Harvard and was the best boxer at Harvard. He actually wasn't very good, right? It's not like he decided to take up MMA or, you know, back then judo and became a judo champion. It wasn't like when he started sparring with uh, the champions from, you know, who came into town, he was beating them up. So I think he was extremely interested in physical activity. Physical activity. I think he was probably the most physically active. But if you're actually talking about the best athlete, realistically, I don't think he could hold Ford's jock as an athlete. And that's why I had to kind of wait it a little bit. And I think you're very right in that assessment. With TR, he was very broad in his interest in so many things, including physical activity, but he never really delved deep into it. And it wasn't that he was necessarily good at it. I mean, and, and you look at examples like people always talk about his trip to the Amazon, his safari in Africa, but then you start to look at the details and it wasn't that he really knew what he was doing. He yeah. just believed that he would figure it out or, or find somebody to figure it out or just kind of press through. And it wasn't that he was an expert in this. It wasn't that yeah. he was really good at it. He just, he had that gumption to try, but Ford and, Ford is actually, to me, he's the last modern president that we really, that is, is I would say, a lesser known president. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. there's nowadays, and even for me, because when I was doing my, um, I read a biography of each of the presidents, but I, I had certain conditions. I wanted to re- read a biography that was their entire life, not just their presidency or, or one aspect of their life. But then I also mm-hmm. wanted it to be a scholarly biography. And Ford was the last one that I really struggled with for that because sure. there's still so little written about him. But whenever you start to learn about Ford and you start to learn about his life, he's a fascinating figure. And, you know, you really want there to be more about him. And, and I think that as time goes on and, and people start to study him a bit more, I think they'll start to see that there is so much to him and so many different paths that his life could have taken. And especially like in professional athleticism, that there were so many paths he could have taken. Absolutely. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a legitimate big time athlete. I mean, he played, it's not like he played at some small school, you know, Reagan, you know, you look at him on paper and it's like, Oh, he played football. He swam, but he played football at Eureka college where he swam, you know, he, he was okay. 
you know, it was not some big-time college football. Ford was at Michigan, and this was as big as it gets. You know, George H.W. Yeah. Uh, Bush played baseball at Yale, which back when Yale was in the College World Series in two years, the two years he played there. So that's where, when I got to the top of the list, I started, you know, some of the people who, if you mention the presidents who are athletic, you know, a lot of them be like, oh, JFK, right? Like, you know, he was always <laughs> active. And, but realistically, aside from his back problems and pain and all that kind of stuff, he was, you know, the quotes that I found <laughs> about him at, you know, he was, he was, yes, he was on the Harvard swim team briefly, but he was not very good. He was extremely skinny. He did not play football very well. He was, a, you know, he was a really lanky guy. So we have this image of him throwing a football at Camelot, you know, outside with his shirt off at the, at the, you know, at the ocean. And he was, you know, when he had to be an exceptional swimmer, you know, in, in the war, I'm sure, you know, you know, those stories of him you know, swimming two miles, dragging some of his shipmates to safety after, his, you know, the boat got, you know, got hit. <laughs> He was able to muster that, and that's where I gave him a lot of points for. But in terms of being an actual good athlete, he was not a good golfer. He wasn't really good at a lot of this stuff. So in terms of presidency, it puts him in the top 10, but he wasn't super athletic. And I had the same kind of things with Obama, right? So clearly Obama is, you know, it's important to him to be in shape. He did probably, you know, as well in terms of staying in shape inside the White House as you could be him and Bush and Roosevelt, if I had to pick three that, you know, put the most emphasis on their actual fitness in office. It'd probably be those three. And, you know, we all saw pictures of him playing basketball, but he was okay. He, you know, he was, he was an okay player on a, on a decent team in Hawaii when he played in high school. You know, they have, there's mixed reports in the LA times did a deep dive on whether or not he was on the basketball team at Occidental college. But even if he was or wasn't, let's just call it that he was a pretty good, pretty good pickup basketball player, maybe even better than average, but who knows. But other than that, there's really not a whole lot. And, you know, and, 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 uh, other than that, and him actually exercising a lot, you know, we've seen his first pitches, right? We've seen him bowl. Like, there's really no evidence that he's actually anything beyond just your average athlete. So well, that's why when I, you know, people say, well, Obama had to be up there, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, you've got a guy like Eisenhower who played football at West Point, who was a, a you know a starter on on a state championship winning baseball team. You have presidents who were legitimate athletes. So you know, being interested in that sports and being interested in being in shape to me was a line I had to draw once I got to the top eight or 10, because there's the branding and perception of guys like JFK, guys like Obama have that are a little bit different from their actual athletic ability. And I think that's one of the things that, and especially thinking of the modern presidency, but even in earlier times, this this idea of the image versus the reality, whenever you start to, to get behind, you know, what was the public image that was being put out there for a purpose, yeah. what was the reality? Yeah. And, and in, in some cases, it just doesn't live up to the hype. Right, yeah. There's a couple guys who, um, you know, when, they, when, they, when you do a little bit of a deeper dive and you just kind of hear things as, you know, when you start, and there's a lot of lists that people have done of the most adventurous president and the most outdoorsy president and the most this president. And, and for a little while, I was, as I was researching, it was, I kept hearing things like, you know, don't Calvin Coolidge was a sneaky, you know, sneaky athletic, or he was active and uh, you know more active than you'd think. And I was looking at it, and you know, I mean, he was into fly fishing. That's, that's quite of an activity, and you know, that's fine. It's great, but it's not really a, a show of athleticism. And he hated golf. The one thing that he was, you know, that all presidents were were trying to get into, especially at that time period of his presidency. And then you find out that like his number one form of exercise was riding an electric horse, like a like basically like the treadmill version of a horse in the white house and you're like oh so you know they were trying to build up a you know some kind of brand around him being physically active but really you're talking about fishing and riding a fake horse in the white house these are not (laughs) 
these are not things that are going to put you at the top of an athletic president list. This this, this isn't, you know, playing football for a major team. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a bit, right, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a gap there from, you know, uh, you know, Harry Truman, who, um, you know, walked three miles a day at a specific pace, and George W. Bush, who actually ran a marathon in his 40s, like, under four hours. Like, so there's just this real accomplishments there that some of these presidents had. And I think, to me, one of the kind of overall themes of this is if you were, one of the fun things I had thinking about it was if you were kind of I have kids, uh, if you have kids, and I doubt they'll ever be president or even have any interest in it. However, if you were kind of putting together, like, here's the things that you would need to do to be president, uh, you know, would, would being athletic matter? And the truth of the matter is, I think it would. I think the teamwork that you learn from it, you know, they're leading in the military or leading on, on an athletic field, the confidence you get from being able to handle, your, handle yourself physically, I think it does matter. I really do. I think when, when presidents, the, the few times in modern history when a president has shown themselves to look either not, I hate to use the word manly, but either not competent, you know, physically in their presence. You know, there's a famous picture of, you know, John Kerry windsurfing. It's like in the weird shorts. And that's just such a, it's not, it's a far cry from what we would talk about when you're picturing, you know, Washington being, you know, thick shouldered and thick chested ahead of everybody or Lincoln fighting or, you know, Roosevelt, what he did, or even, you know, Obama in the weight room. You just can't overcome some of these images. Um, And I think as we move, you know, whoever the president becomes, you know, whatever happens in this current election or eight years from now or 16 years from now, I'll be curious to see if there is a president who, you know, who comes through it because, you know, one of the like, most likable things about Obama when he ran, regardless of the political party you are for, is the camaraderie he had where he, wherever he went. He found a pickup basketball game or he would invite people to shoot around with him. That is about as a re- most relatable thing as you're going to find. Every neighborhood in America has hoops all over the place. And there was a guy who you could go talk with him while he shot hoops. And that image for a lot of people is what mattered, right? There were, you know, he wasn't, despite the fact that he went to an Ivy League, and despite the fact that he was a lawyer, and all the things people sort of want to check off as elitist things, the fact that he liked to play basketball was a big deal. It was a really big deal for a lot of people. It made endeared him to the ESPN crowd and endeared him to people who just like sports. At least there's that one thing I can relate to him on. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I think a lot of presidents try to use golf that way too, or at least, you know, did until recently when now there's golf trackers for every president and who played how much and all that stuff. Absolutely. Well, John, as we're wrapping up, I wanted to ask you, because I know you also are a podcast host, and so I wanted to, to see kind of what's next for you in terms of podcasting and if you have any other um, future projects or endeavors in terms of presidential history. Oh, thanks. No, I, I wanted to uh, do this book the right way this time. And my, my plan is to basically um, either update it every four or eight years as necessary. So I didn't have Trump in the last one. Um, in fact, I was on uh, when the first version of this came out through a weird confluence of events. It got picked up and I was in, uh, it got put in the New York Post and then I ended up going on CBS this morning to talk about it. And, and it was right at the thick of Hillary and Trump um, running for president. So I kind of had, I had, a, I knew I was going to have to include either one of them. And so obviously I had to include Trump. And if he, if he wins again, I guess I have four, four years off so I don't have to add a president. And if it's uh, somebody else, then I'll have to, I'll, I'll add them. But my plan was to kind of make this be the basis. And then every, like I said, every four or eight years add to it. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, I do work uh, work for this Life of Dad uh, website and podcast, and uh, we host that. We do a live Facebook live show on uh, Mondays at, at one o'clock, two o'clock Eastern, one o'clock Central. 
where we talk about all kinds of dad issues and things like that. I, um, I do a lot of, you know, sports dad dude type topics and stuff. Uh, but ultimately a lot of what I do is in my newsletter. Um, my newsletter is called Finkel's Fast Five. You can sign up at johnfinkel.com or even on my Twitter at John underscore Finkel. And that's really just a weekly newsletter of like book recommendations, movie recommendations, workouts, um, articles that you might have missed. Kind of like if you're, if you're well-read, meat-heady, movie-loving writer friend sends you an email every week, that, <laughs> that's what it would be. Uh, and my next project, I have, I have two book ideas out that I don't like talking about before they actually go um, in the sports space. And I will, uh, I will see how those go, hopefully, in the next month or so. But, um, yeah, I always have a few book ideas going. And then we'll see. This book, it, people like to talk about it. I, I, there's a couple versions of this that I thought I could do moving forward. And I'm open to any ideas of people who read it. Uh, you know, hopefully you'll pick it up on Amazon and write a review and enjoy it. And, and it's meant to be read. It's a fun read. It's about, you know, 800 to 1,000 words per president with a nice ranking and right up at the back. I do my best to make a topic, make it fun and funny. And um, I'm sure there are deep presidential scholars out there who could do, uh, you know, a 300,000-word book on this. But <laughs> I wanted to keep it to about 60,000. Well, and, and honestly, that's part of, why I got into podcasting is trying to help everybody to understand that presidential history is about all of us, that, that we're all involved in it and we can all engage in it. We don't necessarily have to be scholars, but we can find things that we can relate to because I think that, that, that the, the story of presidential history, even beyond just the, the 44 individuals who have served in the office, a human story. There are so many human stories to it. And so it, it was great to hear from you that, that you even found places like with uh, John Quincy Adams and his routine, you found things that you were able to connect to. And I, I think that's, that's fantastic. And that's what I encourage everybody to do. So yeah, thank yeah, you. you know, real, oh, you're welcome. Just real quick. One of the things that I think does help, um, you know, we look at uh, you know, what's going on right now with, with the election. And, and if you look at people on Twitter and people tend to have a, uh, they tend to have sort of an outsized view revering the, the nominees and the candidates and who becomes president. And I've noticed, and I'm sure you have too, that see people's moods or their, you know, their, their, how they feel tend to kind of rise and fall with whoever their favorite candidate is or whoever their president is, if they're in or not in office. And I think, I'm sure you've discovered this, but when you start going through all the presidents, you realize that they're just people. And I know it sounds so silly to say, but they're not, with the exception of a few of them who really truly had that special stuff of, you know, of, of being a different breed of human almost, most of them were just people. And there's really no reason to put too much stock in any of them in your day-to-day life. You know what I mean? Did you get that impression? Like they all were babies and they all went to first grade and they all had bad dates and they all had people who made fun of them and they all had funny nicknames and some of them rose to prominence for a variety of different reasons, and some of them became president and still weren't all that impressive. But at the end of the day, they're just, you know, regular dudes <laughs> at this point until there's a Absolutely. female and she'll just be a regular lady. Absolutely. And, and, and that's a, to me, that's, that's the fascinating thing about it. Whenever you start to really research presidents and you, you see this, this humanity to them, you see that, that they struggle with things just like us. They, they make mistakes. They stumble, they fall, but the ones that are really admirable are the ones who pick themselves back up, who who keep trying, who 
try to become something more. They they become an inspiration because it's it's not necessarily this larger than life figure that we can never relate to. It's a person just like us, and I, I think that is something that we that we all have a tendency of 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 thinking of people as just names or faces or whatever. But whenever we start to make those connections, to me, that's the best part of this. I agree so, completely. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, we wish you the best of luck with your, your future book ideas, with your podcast. And hopefully we can have you on again to talk about some future presidents and their athletic prowess. I'd love to. Anytime. Just let me know. I really appreciate you having me. It's, it's a great topic. It's a fun topic. And uh, it's nice to meet a, a, a fellow obsessed president person. <laughs> we, we, we are out there. <laughs> As this yes, podcast sir. can attest. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks again to John Finkel for taking the time to join us here on Presidencies. For more information about John and his work, head to the website at presidencies.blueberry. That's B-L-U. B-R-R-Y dot com, where I've posted some links or look at my social media. I can be found on Facebook at Presidencies, on Twitter at Presidencies89, or on Instagram at Presidencies Podcast, all one word. If you liked the episode, I hope you'll consider giving this podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast app of choice so that you won't miss a single episode. Until next time, be safe. Be kind to one another and take care, dear friends. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.